Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. And one of my favorite interviews to date, this week I interview Cedric Tandong, CEO of Three Wheels United. They're an electric rickshaw or tuk-tuk financing and operations company based in Bangalore, India. They've got about 3,000 tuk-tuks on the road and are growing very quickly, but it's a fascinating deep dive into how micromobility works and where its challenges are in lower income economies such as India. I really admire Cedric and what he's doing and building, and I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. In terms of news, the new micromobility landscape, prepared by none other than our amazing intern and micromobility collaborator Chase Stubblefield, has just been released with another 50 plus companies or 15% increase in the micromobility space being catalogued and included. We try to do this every six to eight months with the effort of tracking not only the shared and personally owned vehicle manufacturers, but also the rest of the services in the ecosystem that surround this new and very fast growing world of micromobility. Check it out at micromobility.io. Seattle approved its first electric scooter trial, selecting three providers, Lime, Wheels, and Link. This is interesting because Lime is the only stalwart here. Wheels is the seated custom vehicle that operates similar to a moped that raised over $100 million in 2019 and operates predominantly in the south of the US and is expanding to Europe but isn't that well known, while Link is the operations arm of Superpedestrian, who have until date recently only really been a hardware manufacturer. The incumbency bias in micromobility, especially in the shared services, is weak and the ground is quickly shifting. More on that to come in the future episodes. In the Netherlands, the electric bike manufacturer Van Moof, uh, faves of this podcast, has just raised another $40 million from Norwest Venture Partners, Felix Capital and Baldwin Capital during a round of Series B funding. That comes on top of the 12.5 million euros that they raised in the spring and it is on the back of insane demand for e-bikes. Congrats to Taco, Tease, and Dave and the rest of the team there. And thank you also, Roman, for the shout out on Twitter to track that down. Finally, according to a new report by NABSA that Sam Hur, their executive director, mentioned on the podcast we did with them last week, North American riders took 157 million trips across 194,000 shared scooters and bikes in 2019. Importantly, 36% of those trips replaced a car trip offsetting 65 million pounds of CO2 emissions. We're starting to get somewhere. And with that, here's Cedric. And welcome back to Micromobility. I have with us today, Cedric Tangdong. How are you going today, Cedric? I am doing very well. How are you doing, Oliver? I'm doing, I'm doing super well. Um, so where are we finding you in the world, Cedric? Um, I am a global citizen, I'd say. <laughs> <I've> been, uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because we did this original prep call when you were in France, and now you're in Kenya, and your business is in India. So uh, this is this is awesome. Um, well, look, what 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 I thought 
Um, well, well, I guess, what, I, I what, guess what that's, I could... a, that's, that's a bit of my background, isn't it? It's uh, going <laughs> to these different places and having... Yeah, totally, totally. Well, I'd love to get into that. But before we do, just for the audience, um, can you take us really at a sort of a very top line level? What is Three Wheels United? And then we can dig into a bit about your backstory as well. Yeah, so uh, Three Wheels United has uh, uh, two mission, uh, to reduce pollution and to... Uh, improve the livelihoods of the of uh, low-income population, specifically uh, drivers driving uh, light vehicles in India. Uh, so we've, we started uh, working with uh, the tuk-tuk drivers, the three-wheel drivers in India. There are about uh, 12 million of these drivers in India driving over about uh, 6 million vehicles. Our intention mm-hmm. is to convert all of these vehicles into electric. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the long-term goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, that's so awesome. Because the thing that just struck me as so fascinating when I started talking to you about this story is that you're doing this in Bangalore. Well, you started this in Bangalore, but you yourself are Cameroonian. So, do you want to, can you take us through that story of like how, how you're running what is appears to be, as far as I can tell in terms of the research, is one of the largest like leasing operations for electric light vehicles uh, in India. Uh, yeah, how you got to there? Uh, well, like you put it, it's a very interesting story. So I'm born Cameroonian. I'm naturalized French. I lived in Cameroon and then went to went to France. Um, I joined uh, in 2008. I joined uh, a, a company that was outsourcing their market research division to an Indian company in Bangalore, and uh, I found myself. That's how I found myself first in India in 2008, um, uh, mm-hmm. working with them in a management consulting gig. Uh, two, two and a half years, uh, left the country, went back to France, um, completed my uh, master's in a business school and then worked a bit in France for about a year. And one day I just packed up my bags and said, I'm fed up with uh, having the life in Europe where everything is already pre-done and preset. And I moved back to India to enjoy a little bit of the traffic. And that was me in 2014. <laughs> And I have been there, yeah, I've been there quite a while um, doing uh, Three Wheels United and, uh, uh, yeah, still having fun doing it. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, take, take us through the, the, the operations because you've got, um, I mean, the, 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 yeah, as far as I understood, you've got how many now drivers uh, and vehicles are on, the, on, on the fleets and where, and where do you operate? We we have a, we have a network of about uh, thirty thousand drivers that we're currently working with. Um, we've already enabled a shift of over three thousand uh, vehicles, and um, we're doing this in uh, Karnataka, in uh, Delhi. We have uh, pilots running in uh, Tamil Nadu. That's Chennai and uh, Andhra Pradesh, uh, which is uh, Hyderabad. Uh, the intention is to have. Uh, 10,000 electric vehicles running on road. Of course, there are steps to get to 10,000 electric vehicles running on road. And then in the next four to five years, have 100,000. I believe that with this number, uh, we, we don't... Uh, our intention, of course, is to grab the largest market share, and that's what we're doing currently. But what we really need to do is influence other uh, uh, companies who are working in this space to join us in that race and uh, uh, transform all of the vehicles in India. And we believe... At 100,000, there would be a good business case as well as a visibility on road uh, that everybody would want to drive electric. And that's the ultimate mission. 
Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, talk talk us through the um, the parts of the business that you do. So you say you've got 30,000 drivers, 3,000 vehicles, but yeah, just like how does that kind of... Um, how, the part that was really interesting to me as we as we talked about this when we were doing our prep was just the just the the full stack nature of it you know like how much of the <laughs> you're you're starting from uh from yeah because i guess maybe the easiest way to do it is like what's the current state of play in in for 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 someone who drives a tuk-tuk and then we can go from there yeah yeah so um someone who drives a tuk-tuk today uh and uh wants to drive an electric uh, tuk-tuk um would uh, come visit one of my offices or reach out to us through our driver mobile app um inform us if they're already driving if they're already driving an older tuk-tuk we could help them scrap that uh from the scrapping, they get some proceeds which would form part of their down payment. Uh, if they don't, then we put them into a saving scheme uh, where they start saving towards their down payment. When they do have that down payment, we give them a loan which covers uh, close to 100% of the asset costs. So uh, the down payment is really just taking care of insurance and every other related cost to the vehicle. Um, but the intention there is so that the driver himself has some skin in the game and uh, all parties uh, have skin in the game. So we then get them an electric vehicle. And if you look into this electric vehicle, into, if you look into the unit economics, they would earn more um, because of the smaller operating costs, which means there is a benefit there for the driver. Uh, we, on the other hand, we have built technology to manage these loans. We manage recovery on a daily or weekly basis. Um, we have a lot of data which comes to us through that process and we understand how we focus our time uh, on that portfolio. Uh, by doing that, we, I'd say we outperform uh, the way the market manages this type of loans. Um, we have a loan manager who's managing about uh, 150 of these drivers compared to what you typically see on the market, which is about, uh, say, a loan manager managing about 30 people if you were going to do it in a high-touch model. And all of that while mm-hmm. achieving about uh, less than 1% of default in a market that sees over 30% of default if you're talking about nationalized banks. Uh, because we're capable of doing this, uh, so we've done it very well in the market, which makes, us, which makes our model highly profitable, uh, uh, also scalable, and there is a win for everybody mm-hmm. in it. And we just keep managing it until the driver uh, ends up owning the vehicle. And this could happen uh, between uh, three and four years, depending on what package they choose. And then uh, uh, that's that's the end of the process. And so for someone who is, when you say someone is coming to you or they would approach you in the first place, um, what is the kind of economics of someone who is a standard tuk-tuk driver versus wanting to go to electric? Because I remember looking at this, you know, even uh, whatever, five, five, six years ago, and like the economics of an electric vehicle didn't really stack up then, but they might be starting to second now so there is a there is a lot of uh, different models which are out there in the market but if you look at who we're primarily uh, our primary target we're looking at drivers who are who've already been driving and renting uh, these drivers pay on a daily basis somewhere around 203 uh, 200 to 300 indian rupees uh, to drive these vehicles on a daily basis uh, they are limited in terms of uh, time. Uh, so they drive these vehicles for about six hours and they would earn about 1,200 to about 1,500 daily. Um, what we do to these drivers is that we propose them a similar product. Uh, we tell them to pay two to 300 rupees a day. Uh, and over three years, they become owners. 
so it's uh, for us, it's just a simple switch where you then become owner. You control your time. You can drive more or less if you wish. Uh, you become an asset owner, so you could use that asset to leverage and make your life better. And really, that is uh, the social capital we're building for these drivers. So the, the um, going to market and talking to these drivers, the unit economics is very simple. Uh, we just need a lot more vehicles on the road to convince them that this is working and uh, uh, they would they would benefit from it uh, financially uh, beyond uh, just reducing pollution. If you uh, were to rent a tuk-tuk for two or 300 rupees a day, um, does that include the fuel cost as well? That does not include your fuel cost if you're, if you're renting a, a fuel tuk-tuk. So this is just the price you pay to the owner beyond its operations cost. Right, okay. And then um, what's the, I'm just, I guess my, what I'm trying to get my head around is, is it yet compelling for a for a tuk-tuk driver to go and say, I'm going to go and get an electric vehicle versus a petrol vehicle? Um, are we at that stage in, 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 in terms of the operational cost that it would be better? Yes. So the tuk-tuk is one of the very, I'll say the light electric vehicles, uh, tuk-tuks and uh, two-wheelers uh, are one of the very few vehicles that already have a very competitive, um, uh, profitable I'd say uh, unit economics over their uh, non, uh, non-electric counterparts. I'll just do the uh, unit economics for you. Uh, so if you look at these vehicles, they typically do uh, 100 kilometers a day. Um, the non-electric mm-hmm. ones. The electric ones, uh, which we are giving out to drivers, do about 100, can run up to 150 miles on a single charge. Um, Nevertheless, drivers are still using it, 100, uh, driving it for 100 kilometers a day on average, which means that the, and the, the capacity to make money, the capacity of the vehicle and the ability to make money remains the same. So they're going to make the same amount of uh, uh, money uh, on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the upside comes on the operations cost. So this driver who's paying 200 or 300 rupees pays the same 200 rupees, whether he's renting or whether he's paying that towards a loan to me. Um, when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, the fuel cost, he pays an additional 300 or 350 rupees daily to run 100 kilometers. But whereas if he's charging this at his home, the maximum he'll spend on electricity is somewhere about 100 rupees. So he's already saving on that front, right? And then um, yep. the operations cost of these vehicles, uh, if you, the, the non Electric vehicles have too many moving parts, and uh, an average operations, mm. uh, an average maintenance cost of 100 rupees per day. Uh, would be added to that. Um, in an electric vehicle, it's, that is either half or almost non-existent. Uh, so if you, if you really go down into the details, it's really the operations cost of these vehicles that make it more profitable uh, because the earning potential remains the same. So at the yeah, end of the day, this driver is going home with about uh, 200 or 300 rupees extra than he would be making. And that is besides the benefits of becoming an owner, right? That's just the, the unit economics between uh, uh, owning an electric versus non-electric vehicle. And, and with that, um, is there, how, like, has there been a challenge with you in terms of being able to sell that vision? Because I mean, I, I imagine it's like, it's a new technology, people aren't super familiar with it. How's that process been for you to, to, to sell into the market? It's been, uh, because when, when you listen to me talk about the unit economics, you might think it's a no-brainer then for every driver. You, the question is, why is everybody not driving this? Um, it's, well, it's they a challenge. trust you, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard um, sell. It's a- exactly. So it's a, it's, yeah. it's a hard sell. Um, a reason because it's a new technology, we're talking to a, a, a target population, a low-income 
drivers who would not want to spend money on something they're not familiar with or something which someone is not recommending or which doesn't have a proven track record on the market. So I think uh, that's one aspect of it. Secondly, it changes the habits of the driver, right? So we're talking here about a driver who could just uh, show up at the petrol pump and get uh, gas in, into his vehicle. But now you're telling him to charge. He starts wondering about what about the day I don't have electricity in my house, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been a hard sale. Um, I think it is still going to be a hard sale for a couple of years. Uh, the Indian government is doing a lot around incentivizing uh, drivers to take this up. There is a lot of players like ourselves who are promoting this on the market and trying to uh, build that uh, culture change which is required uh, for drivers to adopt this. And uh, part of that adoption is just having lots of vehicles on the road so that people can really see that it's working on a mass scale and uh, they are benefiting and the people who are talking about these benefits and then they would believe in it because they, the population we're dealing with is the most skeptical population and they're going to remain a skeptic until they really see that scale. So it is a challenge selling it, but that's the part where we come in and play a role and we hope that uh, in, the, in the months to come or years to come, we would uh, achieve that and get everybody into one of these vehicles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the the so so if we've talked about the kind of the aspect that you're doing, which is your you're financing the vehicles, but you're also looking at the same time as well at scale of doing supply. So can you just talk through that aspect and then and then um, the other? Well, actually, let's just go top level. So you've got you've got the financing aspect of the business, you've got the supply aspect of the business, in the sense of being able to you you yourself actually purchasing them from from manufacturers at scale and then you've got the tech platform for payments and then the operation side of business as well so can you just talk through kind of each parts of those as well so on the uh, i'll start i'll start with the supply side uh so on the supply side we have um we've just partnered with uh the biggest manufacturers in india uh we have um mahindra who's been manufacturing i think the first people to manufacture electric vehicles in India and who know really much around making vehicles who have been our partners now for over uh, close to three years. Uh, we've signed up with uh, Piaggio as well, which has a battery swapping uh, technology. Um, we have other, we, we're also in talks with a lot of the other smaller players. Um, and the, the, the reason we choose to go first with the big players is that you need, uh, well, for the vehicles to be on road and, provide the confidence that is required. You need someone with who's, who has the ability and the knowledge uh, to make these vehicles work and uh, who would also uh, have some skin in the game. So we've signed up with these uh, partners and they get recommendations from us and they build these vehicles. Uh, on the other front, you have, uh, well, you talked about uh, the finance. We do the financing, uh, the technology part. We build the technology. So we have the finance part. We have an NBFC in India which is focused on doing this, just financing electric vehicles. We're raising capital into, uh, to capitalize that entity and uh, finance more of these vehicles. Uh, we also have another and, and separate... NBS, sorry, NVSC is a new vehicle. It's a non-banking, a non-banking financial ah, company. Yeah. Uh, so it's a non-deposit taking uh, company uh, that does this. And uh, yeah, we, we've, yeah. We, we have a, a, a technology company as well. Uh, we've been building technology since 2016 uh, in partnership with uh, Microsoft Research. Uh, we've, uh, this technology is really geared towards making the high-touch um, which micro, the high-touch model which microfinance institutions use into a low-touch wherever it makes sense. We use a lot of uh, behavior data. So um, just uh, data from the vehicles, data from the interactions between drivers and uh, our loan managers and 
the, the payment history to define what type of drivers we need to focus on and also go into recommending what actions need to be taken to incentivize better repayments. And there's a lot of uh, development that's happening there. And that is really uh, the focus around the technology part. And then beyond that, we have a community uh, of drivers. Uh, we engage those drivers uh, by providing them different uh, services uh, like uh, getting them a document or registering them for an insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and besides that, we then collaborate with uh, 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 fleet operators like Uber to, so that these drivers would have work. Uh, we collaborate with um, online delivery companies uh, and, and many more. So if you look at what Three Wheels is, right? Um, so at the core of it, we're building technology and we're a financier. Uh, but because of the stage of the market, we're really a market builder. We're integrated with all of these different parts uh, of the market, and we use our technology to do that integration and to uh, sort of enable our partners to do their, 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 job, their jobs better, uh, to make the life of the auto rickshaw very much easier when they're driving these vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of just talk me through, um, so you mentioned Piaggio and Mahindra because those are two names in the auto manufacturing space that anybody who spent any time in India will know their, their, you know, Piaggio is the largest manufacturer or is one of the largest manufacturers of tuk-tuks for sure. And then um, uh, Mahindra as well. But, the, but um, do, so do they have their own, because I assume they produce the vehicles and then they sell them, but do they have their own financing arms as well? How does that work? How do you interact with those? If you look at the space, um, predominantly the uh, uh, people like uh, TVS and Bajaj who have um, the majority of the non-electric market, they have dedicated uh, financing arm. Uh, Mahindra has a financing arm, but it's not dedicated to Mahindra vehicles. Um, Piaggio doesn't have a financing arm. Uh, so I think these are, these, these are well, one of the reasons is that they are the four movers in the electric space. Uh, they already have products on road and mm -hmm. running and tested. Uh, so we can collaborate with them. Uh, but I also think there are, not I think, uh, there are uh, part, uh, players like um, uh, uh, Bajaj who's coming up with, a, fine, with um, a product. And we've also in the past collaborated with Bajaj, irrespective of the fact mm -hmm. that they had their, their financing arm to finance more vehicles. So they, they don't do 100% on their books uh they also finance with other parties and uh, we just our role is to look for the asset that is most reliable for our clients uh and recommend that and then be the financier uh, as as long as we enable them own any electric vehicle that's what we're there to do yeah it, yeah it, awesome and then um so if say for example uh someone goes and like a, a tuk-tuk operator comes and takes a loan on this vehicle how do they do the recharging like if they're if they're taking a standard day um you mentioned that they had 115 miles of range so how do they how do they recharge that is that correct the, yeah, the current the current vehicles today. So uh, the Mahindra vehicles, uh, they're home charged. Uh, you have a 15 amps plug. You plug it at uh, in your home, and it charges for three hours uh, to a full battery. Uh, for the Piaggio vehicles, they've partnered with uh, Sun Mobility. They do uh, battery swapping. So you basically just go to uh, some stop uh, stop points and then uh, swap swap these uh, batteries. Um, in addition to the battery swapping points and the charging points people have at their homes, like in Bangalore, for example, the government has installed uh, uh, charging points across the city. Uh, so drivers mm -hmm. can go there and plug in 
plug in their vehicles and uh, have a top up while they're driving. And uh, yeah, largely that's how it works. Um, that's this is I just love this. This is so interesting because this this to me strikes me as micro well, micro mobility. Uh, you know, the way that Horace and I have talked about it is these are the sort of perfect vehicles that we we would see being adopted. Lightweight electric vehicles. Oh, well, one, because they're, they're really well suited. They're like lightweight and they're electric. And obviously they achieve a lot of the sort of uh, the, the outcomes that a lot of the governments, I, I imagine, want to see. What's the price point comparison? I mean, from a financing perspective, it sounds like the ops cost, you can get someone down to actually being like the overall cost of ownership is lower. Is the upfront cost of purchase still higher than the existing um, internal combustion options? So this is one of the barriers around uh, electric vehicles. The upfront costs uh, are a bit higher uh, than the internal combustion uh, vehicles. And um, we've identified that problem. That's one of the things we are solving because then if we are uh, financing uh, close to 100% of the asset, then uh, in principle, uh, the, the actual contribution from the driver is what he brings in as, uh, as down payment. And we make it competitive to to non-electric uh, vehicles. Uh, but this is really one of the challenges in the market. This is one of the reasons people hesitate to adopt it. And of course, uh, as the years go by and even months go by, you see that the price of the battery, which is almost half of the cost of the entire asset, uh, is dropping uh, quite substantially. So we're hoping that there is a day when the cost of the vehicle would be competitive. But then today, our role is to provide more financing because we understand that the overall uh, uh, the total cost of ownership is lower in the electric vehicle and if you're looking at it from from that perspective then it's, it still makes sense to own one yeah um i want to go right back to kind of give us a, the wider context on this as well because you mentioned in the beginning so there's 12 million drivers 6 million vehicles who are doing this sort of tuk tuk so obviously pretty substantial size of the market can you can you indicate what's the level of act why is that important in terms of the the reason i ask this uh i think it's really important but they actually function like public transport so do you know what actual percentage of the mode share of transport in india is on these vehicles um no not really uh and i think it really varies from city to city and from place to place uh but if you look at uh if you look at the um, uh, the, the way the way we look at it is uh, the the number of vehicles that are on road and the number of vehicles that are subsequently on road each year, and how can we uh, move that? So if you look at over the last ten years, India has been selling about um, uh, close to half a million vehicles year on year, uh, which means that there is a replacement market of half a million vehicles year on year, and there is a to- the the total number of vehicles stayed around. Uh, six to seven million. Uh, so the market is pretty, the total number of vehicles is pretty much stable. Um, and every year, the total number of replacement mm-hmm. vehicles is pretty much stable as well. So if you look at um, uh, from that perspective, if we want to uh, change, uh, uh, well, move these vehicles into electric, these are the numbers which we should consider. How do we convert 500,000 vehicles annually into electric? And over a period of time, we should have converted all of these vehicles into electric. And um, so the average, you would imply from that an average vehicle life of about 12 years. Um, the, um, what, uh, when you say that the vehicle, um, the number of vehicles is relatively static at 6 million, 
I would have thought that with the population of India growing, that they also that the, the that the number of uh, tuk tuks would also grow. What's the um are they are they what does it work like in each city? So are there are there quota systems? Are there's a certain number of tuk tuks that are available? How does that work? Um, so if you look at the, it, that might change, um, but you're you're completely right. So uh, each uh, tier one city has a number of permits, and that's how they regulate the the number of vehicles on road. Um, with respect to the population uh, on road, um, and then uh, so in most cities you have a you have a permit system, and most of them are closed, and then they open it uh, after once every three years or once every five years. But there's really no rationale uh, behind that. Uh, so, and and this is the new. These are there are some of the these are some of the changes that will happen with uh, electric vehicles because for now uh, they don't have those permits. Uh, so from a, a India as a government has. Uh, gone, gone out. Uh, I'd say quite bullish on the electric vehicles and removed the permit limits on electric vehicles, which makes it even, which really? makes the acquisition costs uh, quite cheap, and then makes the entrance of these new vehicles quite cheap. I'm talking beyond the subsidies which the governments already provide. Uh, so, if you look at that number, the reason it is stable is because there is that permit system which locks it that way. And what the government yeah. is doing now is really. Um, keeping that uh, permit system locked while opening up the electric vehicles uh, permit uh, almost for, well, for free. And in some cases, no permits even required, right? Which means that you have wow. a whole market of uh, non-electric vehicles which have no choice but to convert over a period of time because they also have to get off road. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, so it's one of the market, one of the uh, markets in the world that is really uh, forward thinking in terms of uh, switching its vehicle. Well, they have a very ambitious target, and uh, I think they, they are on it uh, in terms of making drivers really switch into electric. Yeah. Um, so, th- yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so, so uh, does that actually mean that you think the total addressable market for electric lightweight, le- like the lightweight tuk tuks, uh, is actually going to electric tuk tuks is actually going to be bigger than what the current permitted model is? So, in other words, it might be ten million. 10 or 15 million vehicles? It is going to be bigger. Uh, we don't know yet how much uh, big that would be. When, you, when we talk yes. about India, it's hard to put numbers yes. on things. The market would, uh, would define it. Uh, but when you look at it from a three wheels, uh, from a three wheels United's perspective, we are not just looking at um, uh, this auto rickshaws. We, uh, our, our goal is to go out and finance uh, light electric vehicles that are generating income. So the same principles that we apply to auto rickshaws apply as well to uh, the two-wheelers uh, for people who are delivering food in India and, and things like that. And that is an even bigger yeah. market. Uh, it, I think, yeah, it's the biggest uh, two-wheeler market in the world. And so the, mm. the potential is just unlimited. Uh, let's put it that way. Yeah, totally. Um, I just want to also kind of a bit more understand. So when you bring a new vehicle onto the road and say, for example, Bangalore or Chennai, um, there's a there's a process because as far as I understand, they have to have like the meter system. Do they have to have a meter on them, uh, like a manual meter? Yeah, yeah. So and and you'd bring that online and and and, um, and then obviously people have to use it, etc. Um, but that are like a standard driver they kind of they they already have licensed are they even licensed uh, you know in terms of being able to provide yeah okay so how do they is there like different licensing for evs i mean is it how uh, is it pretty much like a swap from 
someone who was driving a tuk-tuk knows exactly what they're doing pretty much when they transition into a new electric one or is it kind of a little bit of a there's still a bit of a learning curve around that new vehicle there is a bit of a learning curve around that, but I'd say Three Wheels United is one of the, I think, first companies. We Well, we were the first company to register an electric vehicle in Bangalore. And I think we're, we're the largest company that has done that so far. Uh, we understand the process now. Uh, I think we also participated. We helped the government in formalizing this process. It wasn't clear across uh, the, uh, well, as you, you could imagine, you'd go to uh, uh an office, uh, a road transport office, and they'll be like, we don't know the process. So we, we helped yes. communicate. <laughs> and that's, this that's, is that's, that's to be. <laughs> this is to be, exactly, exactly. That's the joys of India, right? Uh, so yeah, yeah, so we, yeah. we, 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 sort of, we sort of understood that that was part of the work that needed to be done. Um, and we helped in communicating that process across uh, different uh, road transport offices. Uh, so we, today we know the process quite clear. A driver comes to us, uh, they want a vehicle, we send them to a showroom uh, which has these vehicles and they go test it out, try it out and uh, come with, uh, they tell us what exactly, what vehicle they want. Uh, we then help them through the entire process of registering it. Uh, so the driver basically just comes, picks up a vehicle and then leaves. Uh, and we provide, mm-hmm. we get we get them all of the documents that are required, um, and uh, they start repaying their loan. And we make sure that over the years we also assist them in uh, uh, renewing things like insurance and things like that. And that's just also because because it's electric. A lot of the policies are changing uh, uh, month to month, so we keep ourselves up to date with that, and we assist the drivers in doing that. Yeah, excellent. And you mentioned. Um uh, on uh, when we were in the beginning, so you've got connections into like Uber and then uh, and also food delivery. So, are there is there an Uber Tuk Tuk product in Bangalore, and are you on it? And does do they differentiate between electric and standard drivers? Uh, very interesting question. Uh, so, we've been trying to get Uber to do this. Uh, it's part of the the plan, I guess. Um, the, the the answer which Uber said was uh, they wait until they get a certain number of uh, Tuk Tuks before they can create a, a different category. Uh, but we do yeah. we 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 have a we have a partner we have an ongoing partnership with Uber, uh, wherein the vehicles that we finance uh, operate on their platform. They provide us data uh, on these vehicles, and then uh, so we 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 sort of also make sure that these vehicles are earning and are on road. Uh, that's a way for us to ensure that the drivers are getting the minimum amount of money required. Uh, but it's also a way for us to make sure that we have more data to uh, fine-tune our model, uh, our lending model. And uh, we, we also sometimes recover some of our loans directly from Uber's platform with the driver's permission. So there, there's a whole bunch of collaboration which is happening between us and Uber uh, when, it comes, when, it, when it comes to electric vehicles. Um, and for the and for the folks who are driving or the 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 drivers who are on the uh, or, or take a vehicle, what percentage of their because tri- they I take it they take some trips from Uber and some trips they just pick up on the side of the street or are they all through the platform? Uh, well, it varies from driver to driver. Uh, we yeah. what what is what we're interested in is how much money they're making on a daily basis, and we try to make sure that the minimum is uh, about a thousand two hundred to a thousand five hundred rupees, which means then that they can meet up with their minimum, uh, 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 say, uh, uh, life, uh, pretty much, and 
at that yeah. point, then it, it, for us, it's indifferent. So to, we leave the charge to the driver to decide whether they want to be picking more trips by themselves or picking it on uh, Uber's platform. Our intention is just that we, yeah. we, we help them connect to, to the market in that way. Awesome. And then for the payments, at the moment, um, my understanding is that the the nature of payments in India, like you have Paytm, which is sort of like the big mobile wallet payment system. Um, are there others? How is that working? Um, do drivers typically receive cash or are they take, I mean, I guess the part is uh, I'm also thinking about it. Um, how much of this is streamlined? Uh, sorry, this is like partly a micromobility conversation, partly me just fascinated because I used to work in, at Uber and I used to think about these things all the time and like cash and non-cash was always a big part of this part of the discussion. So no, yeah, I think you're completely, you're completely right. Uh, uh, from outside India, everybody thinks that everybody's using uh, uh, mobile payments or some digital payment, but there's still a large uh, population which is using non-digital payments. Uh, of course, uh, COVID and uh, the demonetization efforts in India has moved, I'd say, the majority of people into digital payments. So what we've done as a platform, uh, we, uh, I'd say pre-COVID, uh, we had about uh, so 60%, 60%, 70% of our payments, which were cash payments. Uh, so we built mm-hmm. uh, into our platform the ability for our loan managers to recover cash. And uh, there, is a, there is a risk management mechanism there where they can only recover a certain amount of money and until they drop that into a bank account, then we allow them to collect some more. Uh, but now uh, with uh, the different mobile and digital uh, platforms, we have integrated UPI. Uh, we have all of the pros- possibly all of the major wallet payments, so Google Pay, uh, Paytm, PhonePay, et cetera. Uh, and drivers can, can just, just pay us through this. Can you just explain UPI? Because not everybody, uh, I'm still getting my head around what the UPI thing is, but I think it's, by the sounds of things, quite amazing, actually. It is. It is. Uh, I think a lot of countries should adopt this. And then, uh, so it's, it's pretty much you can transfer from, uh, with zero costs, instant uh, transactions, you can transfer from bank to bank. Uh, you can transfer from wallet to bank. You can transfer from bank to wallet. Uh, that's, I'll, I'll say that's the simplest way to put it. Uh, but yeah, yeah it, it, it is this platform which the Indian government has built, um, uh, enabling this to happen across its banks and across its payment platforms. And, you, uh, and on the front end, is it just a QR code? So you just see uh, QR on code the front end, it could be you could have any wallet and transfer to any other person. It could be through... Uh, uh, it could be through just a, a QR code. It could be there. There are various. It allows for various forms of payments through different banks and for very, very almost uh, no cost. So it's really, yeah, yeah. really, really efficient. That's that's next step banking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a, it's amazing uh, hearing that, and then uh, you yeah, spending any time in the US. Anyway, uh, I won't go there. Um, so, uh, okay, look, I, 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 you know, I, just, I find all of this totally fascinating. As someone who uh, is in India and is not Indian yourself, can you talk me through what, the, what are the sort of joys and challenges that you've found in doing business in India? 
I'm just, I'm, I'm laughing. Um, well, uh, I think, I think there are good sides of it and bad sides of it. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll talk mostly about the, the good parts of it. So it, it, it's, it's a completely different environment, right? Uh, you have to, you have to understand, uh, just to put it in a simple way, you have to understand doing business in India to, to be doing business in India. It's unlike any other mm-hmm. market. Uh, it teaches you how to be patient. Uh, you have to, you have to probably learn that when someone says I'm going to be there in a minute, it's not going to be in a minute <laughs> and, and be, and be okay with it <laughs> and be okay with it. You, you have to, there is bureaucracy, so you have to deal with it. Um, and, uh, but then once you have gotten the, so the, the, the good thing would, uh, there are all of these challenges uh, doing business in India as there would be in, there are different challenges as well in other markets. Uh, but once you've navigated that and lived there long enough to know uh, what you need to do, then uh, it becomes, it's a, it's, it's a billion people market, right? Uh, just Bangalore has uh, 9 million people. That is the size of a lot of different countries. So uh, the, the, I'll say that, yeah, yeah. I'll say that the the, the upsides of it uh, are way beneficial than the challenges you get because as soon as you crack it, then you know that it's a whole, uh, yeah, it's 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 some a lot of different countries put together and you can just navigate it uh, with a finger click. So that uh, that's that's my experience of doing business in India. But yeah, there are. Yeah, I, I tell people that you you have to be in it uh, to really experience it. That's how I put it. Completely. And how, how has it worked for you from a, I mean, uh, how big is the team now? Like how much of the, and how, and what percentage of them are foreigners versus uh, local staff? Um, so we have a team of about uh, 25 people. Uh, myself and two other people are foreigners, uh, the rest uh, Indians. Uh, but then uh, we're supported as well with a very strong board, um, the very experienced people in the field, ranging from microfinance, mobility, uh, tech. Um, so, yeah, we have, we, we have a strong board advising us and 25 people full-time. And then we engage from time to time with uh, NGOs uh, on the ground to do some of the outreach work uh, when it's necessary. But yeah, that's, that's how big the team is, 25 people and growing. Yeah, awesome. That's um, great context. And, and, and you mentioned the board. So can you, um, the, yeah, the, where are you at in, in, the, in the story of the company? So you've been around for a while. You've obviously done a bit of fundraising. You're, you've now got a board. So can you talk me through um, kind of that story from, 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 from the formation and through to kind of a couple of milestones and then where you've got to in that, in that story. Yes. So we, we, we closed the sit round in uh, uh, early of 2018. Uh, that was uh, close to a million dollars. With uh, that, uh, we went out and deployed some vehicles, built technology. Uh, we uh, just this week, uh, we're closing a pre-series A round. Um, which is a bit over a million. Congratulations! Uh, thank you, thank you very much. It, uh, yeah. I think it's it's a bit of a learning raising ra- raising money in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> let's 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 yeah. get to that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. so, it's a bit of an interesting learning. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we we just closed that. I think well, we're going to announce that um, in, in a couple of weeks, uh, and that should allow us to. 
uh, get to our next milestone, which is really securing uh, the debt and equity that is required to then uh, put 10,000 vehicles on road. Uh, the good thing about this race was that we have uh, partners like the Asian Development Bank uh, in this round who are then committed towards uh, mm-hmm. the next round. Uh, we have also prominent people, uh, tech players like Techstars who participated in this round. Uh, and yeah, a, a big thank you to all of these people for supporting us and believing in it. And um, <laughs> the next phase is going out and raising uh, we're raising $4 million in equity. Uh, we expect to close um, uh, by April 2021. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we should, we should leverage that equity and get debt into the company uh, to finance uh, our, next, uh, our next phase of growth. And that's, that's where the company is at. Uh, today, we have a board uh, which comprises of a uh, board of uh, five, uh, five, including uh, my co-founder and myself. Uh, so three additional uh, directors uh, with myself. And that is really the structure of the company. And we have a, man- a management company, uh, again, four or five people, a CTO, uh, myself, my co-founder, who's a CFO. Uh, we have our uh, chief community uh, person, uh, Maggie, who heads all of our initiatives with drivers. We are probably going to add... Um, a strategic uh, partnership director to the to the management team uh, in the coming days, uh, and uh, we're also uh, going to grow our tech team uh, by three people uh, before the next uh, by end of next month, and that should be the team uh, riding us through our Series A, and then uh, well, we would plan and come up with a growth a growth structure from there. Yeah, awesome, um, and the. the- I'm just thinking about the other companies that are fundraising in the micromobility space in India because I know that there's been a huge amount of money put into both uh, Bounce and uh, Vogo who do the, the, yeah, the bike companies. And so they're doing scooter sharing. We've had um, the VP of growth on uh, from Bounce on the podcast before. Obviously, they're not doing electric. They're doing kind of they've got aspirations to go electric uh, with the, the moped sharing, but they've at the moment only got sort of gas powered uh, mopeds. Um, but it, how have you found the fundraising journey going kind of electric first? Have you benefited from any of the sort of the craze for Tesla and Nikola and all this offshore money that's going into electric vehicles in the US and in Europe? Are they looking at, at, at for Indian market and saying, yeah, absolutely. This is obviously a market that's going to go electric. We want to be part of that growth story. Yeah, very, very, very interesting question. Well, I thought I think if they were looking for it, we would have had their money already in the bank. Uh, so I think there's yeah. still some work. <laughs> That's okay. Investors, if you're listening, come. I will do an introduction to Cedric. We'll get exactly. This yeah. Yes. I, I don't know who I don't know who they're talking to out there. They're not talking to us. <laughs> so let's, let's yeah. Listen to <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's uh, an interesting intersection in the market. Um, so if you look at there is there is the micro mobility, uh, which is uh, one space in itself, um, and then there is uh, lending, uh, micro lending, which is another space. So if you look at uh, just traditional lending in India, uh, banks haven't given loans to the type of clients which we are we're looking we we we're working with. And that in itself creates a second 
challenge, but also uh, a cross path. And then there is the technology aspects of it. And here we are, we're building financial technology, we're building technology to manage loans. And you have a lot of companies who are going after building the vehicles, right? So there's really uh, capital and infrastructure, uh, well, capital for, for building uh, assets. Um, so I think we, we see that a very interesting uh, cross path between uh, micro lending and uh, micro mobility. Uh, we'd, we've made a very conscious decision to go out for, um, uh, go towards or, or to chase uh, electric vehicles because that we believe, we genuinely believe that's the future. Um, I would say that in India, you, you have different companies addressing different issues. Uh, you have companies who are building vehicles, uh, a lot of them early stages. You have uh, companies who are looking uh, to provide last mile uh, solutions. So I think that's where Vogo, uh, micro, last mile micro mobility solutions. And we are somewhere in between. Uh, we are enabling the, ownerships of this, the ownership of this asset and being the backbone in terms of financing it. And whether it's uh, today financing for uh, drivers who drive on Uber's platform or maybe tomorrow financing drivers who would be on Vogo's platform, that is really the space we want to play in. And we believe that it's uh, a gap that is still very, uh, I would say, empty and has not been filled in, in that market, uh, considering that 90% of uh, light vehicles in the market go through financing and uh, your traditional banks are not financing these assets. Yeah, yeah, fasc- fascinating. Um, I feel like there's also a really strong parallel to uh, the company that's now called Zuma, but was originally called Bolt Bikes, uh, which is founded by a guy called Mina Nada, who I, I, I'd love to introduce you because I think you guys get him real well. Um, Mina's based in, uh, Sing- he's based in Sydney, but they do specifically e-bikes for delivery partners. So delivery couriers for food delivery. And they have gone they have exploded because nobody had been really catering for that. And they're like, look, we're a traditional ops business. We just go and finance it. Um, they've raised a bunch of venture debt and venture equity and are just killing it during COVID, obviously, because uh, delivery just exploded. And it's just, it's such, you know, there are sort of specific niches where I think micromobility really su- suits. Um, and, and like low speed urban transport where you've got a couple of people in a vehicle and it's, the vehicle itself is lightweight it's actually perfectly suited for, for this, especially if, as you say, there's a tipping point that you reach where you get 50,000 vehicles on the road or 100,000 vehicles on the road and everyone goes, because I, <laughs> I I've spent a fair amount of time in India and the, the one thing that just re- overwhelmingly you remember is just the stink of the two-stroke engines. I mean, they've started shifting them across to uh, c- get the compressed natural gas and I love tuk-tuks because they're just super fun, but like, getting around in them is, yeah, it's a dirty experience. And so having something that's electric on the street, I can imagine is something that would be desirable from a from, from the Indian uh, government's perspective. Yeah, no, there is a, there is a desire, right? If you go to cities like, uh, say, uh, Delhi, the capital, um, there are times when you just really can't be on road. It almost yeah. feels like you're, you're going you're gonna to pass out. Or things like that, and then if you look at, um, I shared uh, there's there's a picture on uh, BBC, uh, uh, which uh, captured, well, they, they basically captured a, a building uh, during uh, just before the lockdown and during the lockdown, and you can literally see the pollution, uh, right? That's that's how that's how bad I, I say it is, right? You can you can see the pollution, uh, yeah. and if that's if that's just the effect from locking down and having vehicles not running. Uh, then I think it would be a great world if we have 
these vehicles running and uh, delivering our food and uh, carrying people from place A to place B uh, while still breathing some clean air. And uh, to me, I think that is, uh, that is uh, yeah, uh, an ab- ambition which if we can achieve, uh, I would think then we, we've done something good. Yeah, awesome. Um, the final final question I, I had: Do you do you know what? I mean, have you ever quantified the climate impact that you've made for those three thousand vehicles that you've taken off the road? Yes. So we 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 we've done a very good question actually. Uh, I, I I tend not to talk too much about the impact side because I think more and more people are talking about impact, but most people are just talking about the money <laughs> behind the, yeah. behind the impact. <laughs> oh, I'm interested in micromobility because of impact. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's great. It makes a great business, and that's wonderful. And I that's why I'm yeah. That's why I think you can justify it. But I I'm absolutely. That's why I left my high-paying job to go do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Right. Beyond, beyond enjoying the traffic in Bangalore, that's the reason. Yeah. Um, no, no, very, very, very good question. Uh, so um, we, for every vehicle, every uh, uh, two-stroke vehicle, and this is primarily the type of vehicles that we're replacing off-road, um, we're reducing about 64 uh, tons of CO2 over its life, right? Um, uh, that in itself is really an enormous amount of impact when you multiply it across the number of vehicles that we could we could remove, right? And uh, that's that's beyond uh, the I'd say doubling the income for the driver. Uh, so there is a very clear uh, impact case, uh, just improving livelihoods for these drivers as well as uh, reducing considerable amount of uh, CO two. Uh, this is I'd say this is the reason. So part of our uh, uh, seed round. Uh, Google Impact invested in us, uh, and this is one of the reasons why they did that. And a lot of we've also um, worked with a lot of players who see the value uh, in the impacts that we we uh, that we're bringing in, and uh, they're supporting us for that reason. So yeah, fantastic, um, excellent. Well, look, I I have just so thoroughly enjoyed this chat. <laughs> I I mean I. I Oh, look, mate, it was, I remember when we first started talking uh, on our prep call and I was, I mean, these are the sort of stories that I just love. And I think you, you should be, we should be singing about you from the top of every building uh, in the sense of, and, and working out how to have a hundred of you doing this in every country around the world, especially in, 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 uh, you know, a lower income countries that for this transition, because that is why it's so important, right? It's like, as we look at leap, what we want to see micromobility leapfrog the old uh, internal combustion engine. Uh, internal exactly. combustion engine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely, I completely do agree with you, right? Because it's not a, um, it's not a one person challenge. Uh, there are a lot of uh, amazing other companies out there also doing some great work. Uh, some of which I know. Um, but I also think it's really around getting exposure to these companies because I think for for a long time people, well, we have, we I think we're, we're coming to realization that we have to deal with pollution. Uh, but sometimes people tend to think that dealing with some of these things that means that you're not going to make money. Uh, I think the stories, the story of Free Wheels United and people, uh, companies like ours, disprove that fact. It shows that you can create a really scalable. A really profitable business while reducing pollution. Uh, some, some. I, I heard it. I heard in a uh, uh, from uh, a conference. Someone said uh, uh, the the people before us have made uh, shit tons of money, 
polluting the earth. Now let's yeah. make shit tons of money on polluting it. And I completely support that statement. And that's... Yeah. that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's a total pleasure to be able to help share your story. So, so thank you so much for making the time. And uh, I hope that you do... I, I take it you're going from... So your, your trip has been from uh, France to the UK to now Kenya. You are going to get back to India? Yes, 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 yes. It is, it is my home, right? It is my home. So I am definitely... I'm heading back there. Yeah, let's, that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully have you on soon in the future and uh, you can share more about the the story and where you've got to. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me and uh, have, have a lovely day on your end.